Welcome back to the program. The online poker industry was a multi-billion dollar industry until it was literally wiped out with a congressional pen stroke. We're going to talk about some of the founders of that business, and it's a pretty remarkable story told by a guest that has been with us before. It is my pleasure to welcome Ben Mesrick back to this program. He's a magna cum laude graduate of Harvard. He's the author of nine previous books, including the best-selling Accidental Billionaires and Bringing Down the House. It is my pleasure to welcome him back to talk about his latest, Straight Flush, the true story of six college kids who dealt their way to a billion-dollar empire and how it all came crashing down. Ben Mesrick, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Great to have you here. First of all, let's talk a little bit about the context of this. The online poker industry had become a multi-billion dollar industry until Congress decided it didn't like it anymore. <laughs> That's right. It was a, a business that was valued at somewhere in the order of $15 billion. Um, in 2006, uh, a port terrorism bill was passed, and added to it was this little bill that basically uh, made online poker illegal. Um, so until 2006, it was this gray area business. No one knew whether it was legal or not. But after 2006, it was much more clear. Um, and essentially, uh, the government waited another five years and then took the whole thing down in 2011. And it was really the gray area aspect of it before it became totally illegal that creates much of the excitement for this story. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a prohibition-era business in a way um, because nobody really knew what was going on with the laws. Um, these guys who started the business, you know, they were college kids who would play poker in a local bar, and they essentially moved to Costa Rica where there isn't really any laws and it was pretty much legal, um, and they kept American players, and, and most of the industry was, was built on American players. It's not illegal, you know, and it never was illegal for players to play online poker, um, it was only illegal uh, once 2006 that bill passed for the money movement into these companies. That's what became illegal. But it was the gray area that turned into this unregulated, um, crazy business. And talk about these kids. They were students at the University of Montana, and they were sitting in a bar in Missoula, and, so, and this idea started to evolve. Yeah, these were regular frat guys, all University of Montana guys, most of them from poor backgrounds. And one of them was so poor that he sold a cow to buy his first car. Um, and these were just regular guys. They didn't have any real Internet background, um, but they played poker in this local bar in the basement. Um, and this was 1999 is when it really started for them. There wasn't really online poker. There was one website up um, called Paradise Poker, which was pretty rudimentary. And they pretty much decided, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to try and put poker online. They moved their fraternity to Costa Rica um, for two reasons. One, the industry was there, but secondly, they picked up a brochure and they saw pictures of girls in bikinis on beaches, and they figured that's where they wanted to go. Um, and then they built this company, and uh, it took a while for it to get going, but eventually they were bringing in a million dollars a day. Talk a little bit about online poker as it existed then and really what the new twist that they were bringing to the equation was. Well, online poker at the time, first of all, you know, it was it was rudimentary. There weren't a lot of players at first. Um, it slowly grew. A, a website called PartyPoker.com became very, very big um, and ended up IPOing for about $15 billion or a little less than that. So it was a, a company that was was enormous. Poker Stars was getting big. Another company called Ultimate Bet was getting big. And Absolute Poker was in this kind of group. Um, and Absolute Poker grew from there. But at the time, you know, it was one of those things where the more players you could get, um, you could get enough tables going at the same time, you could start bringing in real money. But it took a while for them to get there. And how did the financial aspect of it work? 
Well, because it was this kind of gray area of business, uh, originally you could use U.S. banks, and originally people would give their credit cards, you know. And you remember, this is a time when putting your credit card on, on online was a scary thing. <laughs> we didn't really, you know, become right. shopping people online for, for a while after that. But uh, originally they were using U.S. banks. In 2006, when uh, this, this bill passed, U.S. banks had to get out of the market, so essentially they started using these payment processors, which, uh, you know, PayPal was one, but they moved on to much shadier ones um, that were located on islands all over the Caribbean or places like that, um, who you would give your credit card number to these little island banks who would then make it real money and give it to the the poker companies. Um, The problem was, of course, these were completely unregulated. There was no sort of board of anything um, watching what was going on, and a lot of these companies would just vanish overnight with the money. Um, It was a very kind of dirty industry. And, of course, once they had success and once the money started rolling in, they had to figure out what to do with the money. Well, yeah, I mean, it was tons of money coming in, and these were essentially guys in their early 20s, mid-20s by that point. Um, And a lot of the money went to partying. A lot of the money went to running around Costa Rica with bodyguards and, you know, bulletproof limousines and big houses and things like that. Uh, A lot of the money also went to advertising. This is a business that entirely runs based on getting players, and so you would put ads on TV. And they essentially built the whole television market for poker, um, this company and a few others, by putting those ads on and sponsoring players, and that's essentially how the World Series of Poker became so big. What about money that they had to pay out? The the issue was, of course, they were supposed to, or they tried to keep a certain level of money segregated from the money they were spending on, on things like themselves and on advertising to the money that was kept in accounts. But like any bank, that's not really what happens. Um, your money isn't just sitting there in a big pile waiting for you to take it back out. Um, because there were no sort of legal guarantees or anything like that, there was no oversight and there was no um, you know, government watching what was going on, when you gave your credit card to these companies, you were definitely taking a risk, uh, especially with Absolute Poker. Um, the management situation there was a little bit crazy, and, and uh, eventually a lot of players did get screwed. And did they find themselves in positions where they had money to pay out and they simply didn't have the cash? Well, what happened was uh, when the comp- when Black Friday, they call it, you know, it was uh, um, April 15th, 2011, when the DOJ essentially raided all these sites and shut them down, um, Absolute Poker did not have enough money to pay any of their players, really. A lot of those shady payment processors vanished. Um, all of the money was essentially, you know, went in all these different directions, some towards legal fees, some to pay off Costa Rican employees, because Costa Rica has all these very stiff laws about paying off employees if they get fired, and uh, and other of the money just vanished, and a lot of players were left with no money. They had also set up shop, or part of it, in Vancouver. What was that about? Well, they wanted to... Uh, so. Pre that 2006 law passing, they were attempting to get ready for an IPO. Um, they were valued at close to a billion dollars. Party Poker had IPO'd for 13 to 15 billion dollars. Um, so they wanted to go public. Um, to do that, they needed uh, a reputable financial office. They needed employees who looked good on paper. So they wanted to set up outside of Costa Rica. So they set up an office in Vancouver. Canada has very lax gambling laws. Um, but almost immediately after setting up there, they were raided by the Canadian uh, Mounted Royal Police. And it wasn't raided because they were doing anything illegal. Um, the Canadian uh, government there was trying to figure out how come so much money was going through this one office. And so they essentially raided the place just to see what was going on there. Um, after that, they decided to shut their Vancouver office. And they had banks all over the world. They had they were putting money in Switzerland and Belize as well. 
Yeah, they had money everywhere. And in fact, early on in the story, they had all their money in a, a bank in Dominica, and that bank disappeared. <laughs> it, it closed down, taking all their money with it. Um, so they had to restart. Uh, yeah, they they had their money all over the place. Um, so you know, nobody really knows how much money went through their hands. Um, it, it's it's uh, something that you know no one will ever really know. There's also an element to it that that is just inherently shady, even when what they were doing was legal, and of course it caused them to get involved with a lot of shady characters along the way. There absolutely were a lot of shady characters. I mean, these guys slept with guns under their pillows, and um, it, because it was this industry that no one, you know, gambling is gambling, and there's always going to be this element to it. Also, because it was on these islands where the law is essentially, you know, if you get pulled over by the police, you give them whatever's in your pocket and you get away. <laughs> um, so it's not a place where there's a lot of regulation. Um, also, there was a cheating scandal, um, a very big cheating scandal at this site. So these guys were involved in some shady stuff. Tell us a little bit about who these guys were. Who, well, the main the guy is Scott here? Tom. So Scott Tom was the founder of this company. Um, and if you Google Scott Tom, you find a lot of hatred aimed at him. He's a, a very kind of um, complex figure, I guess you would say, in the online poker world. Um, and he was a kid, you know, from a very bad background. He grew up in a trailer. His mom uh, was very abusive, attempted to commit suicide a number of times, was, you know, in and out of jail. Um, he was uh, went to college at U Montana, was essentially... Uh, raised to some extent by his dad, Phil Tom, who was also in the book, who's one of the founders of the company as well, and then his younger brother, a guy named Brent. Um, Brent was the guy who, who who is serving time now. He's the one guy who's who's in jail over all this right now. Um, and then the group of them, uh, they were, you know, uh, a bunch of their friends. They were all frat brothers. You mentioned one's in jail right now, but they also spent quite a bit of time on the run. And when things started to fall apart, it was... Uh half Keystone Cops and half uh, pretty serious stuff. Yeah, well, the main guy, Scott Tom, is now a fugitive. Or Technically, he's not a fugitive because he's not running. Um, he was in Antigua when the Department of Justice raided the website, so he just stayed in Antigua. Um, he lives there. He can't set foot off the island of Antigua or he'll be arrested. He's facing as much as 80 years in indictments for founding this company. Um, so he's essentially a fugitive. Uh, the others are ones in Panama and won't come back to the U.S., uh, another one's in Costa Rica. They're all kind of, you know, either on the run or, or trying to stay low profile. Um, and the one guy, the younger guy, he turned himself in because he wanted to restart his life in America. And so he thought he wouldn't get any jail time. The prosecutor even asked for no jail time. But then the judge decided to make an example of him. So he's doing 14 months in a federal prison. Talk a little bit about the fact that when they started this, it wasn't illegal. And yet they seem to be going after them for everything they did from day one. Well, you know, that, when you talk to ten lawyers about it, about what the law was pre-2006, five would give you one answer and five would give you another answer. There was certainly no clear law that said online poker was illegal. Poker is a game of skill. Um, even the Department of Justice's own lawyers have determined that poker is a game of skill. Um, and it's not like sports betting. It's certainly not like the lottery. Um, you know, it's, it's incredibly hypocritical that we're all lining up for Powerball tickets, and yet poker is illegal. <laughs> but... Um, until 2006, when they started their business, it wasn't uh, illegal, but it wasn't covered by any sort of legal framework as well. So they started the company like any other Internet company, um, but they did it overseas. They, they did it in a way that they weren't spending a lot of time in the United States because they certainly weren't sure what would happen. Um, then in 2006, it definitely became a less gray area when this bill was passed. Um, it's called the UIGEA. Um, and when the UIGEA passed, they knew they couldn't come to the U.S. anymore. So they passed a company-wide, you know, rule that no one could set foot in the United States. 
Um, and then they were facing real jail if they, you know, were caught as, you know, people involved in the money movement, um, which is essentially what they all got tried for. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely a crazy business. I mean, even from the beginning, there were senators who wanted to make this illegal. Um, there's always been kind of this very moralistic religious right um, that wants online gambling to be illegal. Um, and, uh, you know, for their part, the people who do the companies want it to be regulated. Everyone wants regulation. They want it to be taxed so that it's, you know, a legitimate business. But um, I personally don't see why it should be illegal. And it's still going on in different places offshore. Yes. Well, now it's actually becoming illegal in the U.S. again. Um, it is legal now in the state of Nevada. It's legal in the state of New Jersey. And it's about to become legal in the state of Delaware. Um, and overseas, it's legal everywhere. Uh, it's The only places it's illegal are pretty much here in Iran and North Korea. Um, you know, Europe, it's, it's legal pretty much everywhere in Europe. Uh, you know, there's lots of online gambling all over the world. Um, it's just the United States that it's that it's a problem. But um, here it is slowly, state by state, becoming legal. Given that shift, are these guys going to be back in the business? Are they still in the business <laughs> in any way? Well, they'll never be in the business again. The thing is, they'll probably still be facing an indictment because, you know, what when they did what they did, uh, according to the UIGEA, they were committing a crime. Um, so until they make deals with the government, and that's what's happened with Poker Stars. Poker Stars was the other big company that was indicted. Um, they just paid a $753 million fine to the U.S. government. Um, and the main guy who was indicted just paid another $50 million fine, and now he's running Poker Stars again. And Poker Stars is back in business. They can't have American players yet, but they eventually will. Um, so it's really kind of a cash grab. Uh, if these guys could pay off the government, uh, they wouldn't be facing indictments. And how much money do they still have, do you think? Well, that's the question. I mean, Scott Tom claims he doesn't have a lot of money, but every interview I did with him, he was sitting in an infinity pool in a beautiful mansion in Antigua. So I know he's got some money. Um, he says he doesn't have the kind of money that they want from him. Um, it's hard to know. I mean, there was millions of dollars flowing through this company, but there was no accounting of it. And what is your sense of it at this point? I mean, you spent well, time with these guys. You've, you got to know the operation pretty well. Well, I definitely think Scott Tom has a lot of money. I mean, I don't know if he has $50 million. He probably has $20 million. Um, Brent, who went to jail, has really nothing. I mean, he basically paid a million-dollar fine, went to prison, and he's going to come out, and, and he's you know going to try and be a chef somewhere because he doesn't have any money. He just wanted his family back in America. Um, you know, a few of the others probably have a little bit of money, um, not, you know, rest-of-your-life kind of money, but, but an amount of money. I think it, there was a lot of mismanagement, and I think the players lost – their money not entirely out of theft about these guys running off with it, but because of the way their business was running, they had almost all their money put back into the business. They weren't keeping a large amount behind for players. Um, and when the companies were shut down, all these payment processors just disappeared with the rest. Are they reconciled to the idea of spending the rest of their lives in these various offshore locations where they, where they are now? No, well, Scott Tom is miserable. I mean, he does not want to be in Antigua anymore. He wants to start his life again. He wants to be free to travel and, and, and do whatever it is he can do in the future. Um, he feels like he's a victim. A lot of people wouldn't look at him like a victim at all, and a lot of people think that he's, you know, uh, um, behind the cheating scandal or that he's um, to pay for the fact that everyone lost their money. But he considers himself a victim, and he would like to, you know, be free from this indictment. And do you think that he ever will be? I mean, it's a tough call. I do feel like sooner or later he'll make some sort of a deal. I can't see what purpose there is of keeping this going on, especially as online poker becomes legal. Um, if online poker is legal over the U.S., it seems very strange that they would go after this guy for online poker from 2006. But um, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You know, there's certainly 
a fine to be paid. And until he can find the money to pay that big fine, I'm not sure he can get off. It is interesting to think about if he ever does get it settled and does come back, what he does as a second act. Yeah, I mean, it's probably not going to be online poker. <laughs> uh, but uh, I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do next. Ben Mesrich, the book is Straight Flush, the true story of six college kids who dealt their way to a billion-dollar empire and how it all came crashing down. It's just published by William Morrow. Ben, always a pleasure. I thank you so much for spending time with us. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.